Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Comsi.com, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. Thank you all. This is the second part of my conversation with David Marino. As you know, I'm pretty strict about keeping it to 15 minutes, but uh, actually we talked for more than an hour. This is the other part of it that I could release <laughs> that was not confidential. I'm pro bono consultant, so if somebody wants to talk to me, I'm fine with that. And if they want it to be confidential, I certainly honor that. Again, thanks, David. Enjoyed visiting with you. This is the last part of the ramblings, although I'll be seeing David at one of the next shows. As we point out in these episodes, it's nice to know somebody over Zoom or online or over the phone, but it's even better to see somebody at the show. So I will see him at the next Dallas show. Thanks, David. Thanks, everybody. Here's the rest of my conversation with David Marino. You're seeing direct overlap between the online communities having this in-person relationship as well, and they're both additive and beneficial to each other. So I think that is a favorable nod to social media and its impact. Does that mean you're optimistic? Because you've got best of both worlds. We've got what we had before with this additional component of the esprit de corps and the camaraderie of these people participating together. Even if it's online, it's also in person many cases. So stronger bonds are being formed. Are you bullish? Am I bullish on the space or am I bullish on the community? Both. If the communities are thriving, then the industry and the hobby is going to thrive. People are having a good time. They're making money or they're at least enjoying themselves. When you go to an amusement park, you don't make any money when you do that. You pay money to have a good time. So you're not thinking, I didn't get value for that. No, you got enjoyment for that. You paid money and you had a great experience and maybe you went with some other people that you had a good time, but it wasn't free. It cost. We've got an industry where sometimes you make money having a good time. I think that's a great point. And it's actually in line with why I'm extremely bullish. Card values have sunk in some cases 60%, right? Depending on what you collect, who you collect, we'll leave the investment conversations to the investors. But you're seeing a boom in person connectivity and shows at a time where card values are down. You could have thrown a dart and hit a bullseye. 100 yards away two years ago, being a dealer at a show, you can show up at any show you were making money. I think that now, as card prices have come back to reality a little bit, and you're seeing this boom in spending to attend shows, travel to shows, if you're a dealer, frankly, this is why I think it's very important that every single show take a dealer first mentality. Because in times like right now, where you're closing your store or you're traveling and making that investment to be at a show with no guarantees that you're going to make your money back a profit. I think that is a major indicator that we should be bullish about the space. The people that left the space, okay, maybe they'll come back, maybe they won't. But look at what's left. You've got a passionate group of masses that are traveling to shows that are transacting in still very high volumes across all of these marketplaces. People are buying cards, they're opening boxes, they're grading cards. Frankly, yeah, I'm bullish. Do I think this is a guarantee that the space will continue to grow? No. I'm happy with where we are today. If it's a cold, snowy day or a hot summer day, whatever, and you think, I want to go to the beach or I want to go skiing and I want to take a long weekend or Wednesday through Sunday, you're going to have a good time. It's going to cost you money. But instead, you could say, I'm going to go to a card show <laughs> instead of going skiing. I'm going to go to the card show instead of going to the beach. 
And if you look at it that way, and it, for most collectors, they'd rather do that. Okay, Maybe they're a net spender. So they don't make any money. They spend their budget that would have spent on skis and all this other paraphernalia. They're spending it on cards and having a good time. People want to say cards are going up or going down based on past history. Now, cards are always trying to find their optimal value. If something gets bid up too high, so, oh, everybody would want that. No, not everybody would want it at that price. They're eventually going to find a price. And so the fact that some cards are going down or perceived as going down, they're just finding their level. And some cards are going up. So there's the public interest in the player or their performance on the field. That dynamic element, ever since I started doing monthly price guides, or even before that, the cards, there's an ebb and flow. And that's the charm of it. But it doesn't mean the sky is falling when one player or one set or one product or one particular grade that got extra heated, overheated perhaps, comes down in value because otherwise everything just keeps going up and up and that's not realistic. The heresy is there will come a time when the Hannes Wagner card does not keep going up. That's a very real possibility. There will come a time when the higher grade 52 tops mantles do not keep going up. And it could be based on macro conditions, could be based on any number of things, but it is not a truism or a guarantee that these things will always go up. Just like it's not a guarantee that any stock or even America will keep going up. There's stuff that happens. There are no sure things. Same thing with a Van Gogh painting. Is it going to keep going up in value? Maybe, but maybe not. And that's okay, because if you enjoy having that painting, or if you enjoy going skiing or going to the beach or having a card, then you have that to consider. But if it's just buying and selling, flipping without any heart, then that's not the hobby I signed up for. I want to spend time with people that I enjoy being with because they share the same passion about cards and sports. I could not agree with you more, frankly. And I'm not saying that there's not space for flippers and people that are solely in it for a profit, but the underlying attraction for people in this space that's going to continue to grow the space is that you covet something. I had a conversation with Chris from Card Ladder a couple of years ago, and I remember it because I actually had one of my first interesting points. When I touch a card or I touch a baseball that was signed by a player I love or a piece of memorabilia, that's my attachment to that moment, to that player to my nostalgia for a moment in my life, right? I still rip 90s wax because I want to rip all the boxes I couldn't buy when I was a kid or I didn't buy when I was a kid because I was stupid and I was buying 89 Dunross and 94, 95 hoops, right? But those are the cards I loved. So I rip those cards still and I rip a ton of modern wax as well, which is probably to my detriment, but 30 years from now, we'll figure that out. David, in the Judeo-Christian heritage, the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet. Okay, but that comes after don't murder (laughs) and don't steal and don't bear false witness. So if you're not lying and cheating, stealing and murdering, then to want something that isn't yours and to try to earn it, to try to get it fairly, to have some envy or say, hey, he's got that. I want that. You can make a trade or you can sell something and buy that because you want it. So the powerful motivation of coveting it to me is more about being obsessive about it to the point of wanting to kill, steal, or lie about it. And so the wholesomeness of this hobby is to make coveting not 
a sin. Right. <laughs> it's driving the motivation that, hey, that person has it. That's why the flexing and the bragging rights, that he has something, she has something, I'd really like to have that. How can I get that in a legal way? There's so many ways to make money in this industry that are legal and ethical. Some of these kids, it's amazing how they, in the course of a weekend, can trade up into some fabulous card that they coveted really want that card. My point is it's tapping into human nature that's been the case since time began. Yes. And that is a great point. And I can promise you one thing. There's not many cards in my collection that I can flex on. I know, but that's not the modern hobbyist now. The modern hobbyist is all about flexing. The old school guys were more private about their collections. That's the tension in the new hobby, whether it's a private or a public experience. And it's both. And you got to straddle that. You want to be able to share your experience, but you ought to reserve the right to be private. That's actually a great point. Something largely forgotten in the modern hobby. There seems to be a lack of understanding that there's a right to privacy, right? That people that want to privately collect or have their process on their own and not be public about it, there there should be that right. And as long as it doesn't affect anyone else's journey, card values or prices, and it's not done in a nefarious way great, that's that person's hobby journey, and they should be able to walk down that path. But frankly, this growing bond between collectors is really cool to watch. I've got very close relationships, and some of my closest friends work at eBay and PwC and Golden and Summer Fanatics and Beckett, obviously. And these companies are making the strides to build a bigger community. And I think some are doing a better job than others. But every single one of those companies that I just named took a big shot on Mint Collective. IMG was a tremendous partner to have. But everyone took a shot on this idea that there's a big community to be built here and relationships to be fostered. As long as everyone on the corporate side of this industry continues to reinvest into building community and creating a better hobby ecosystem, for lack of a better word right now, then we're going to be fine. Now, David, you've mentioned several adjectives. And I think that some of the industry leaders, given a choice to build something that's bigger versus better versus stronger, they're going for the bigger. And you can't blame them. But I hope they're really trying to be better and stronger at the same time. Because otherwise, you don't have the foundation support that bigness. If it gets bigger and bigger, it gets huge. It's got to still be strong roots. And you've got to have better tools, I think, too, which are coming. I agree. But there also needs to be a better tolerance for failure. Right? I, th- this industry does not tolerate failure well. Yeah. It's not necessarily trusting on the way in. And if you don't do something well, you get very few shots to adjust. For bigger companies to build bigger, in a way that they're building better at the same time, the hobby community needs to allow for failure. You've got to go slower to do that sometimes. The outside money coming in doesn't want to go slow. That They want to build big and fast. Right. Then you have things like synthetics coming into the space, right? Like applying leverage to these assets. Long-term, was it a good idea? Who knows? It's still too early to tell, but pretty, pretty evident that this space probably shouldn't have much leverage attached to it. Right, Anything that's supposedly a no-brainer is not. (laughs) People need to try things. People need to have the ability to go out and try new things and bring new ideas to the table. Back to collectible for a second, right? 
what would I have done differently if I had the ability to completely rewrite the history of Collectible? I think Ezra had a great idea and some other members of Collectible had a great idea. And you mentioned it earlier. If Fractional was there to create limited partnerships and provide the framework for partnerships in different cards, that could be really interesting. If Fractional was used as a marketing device for big brands to connect with their fans. And we were working with Disney to unlock the Disney treasures and people were buying a piece of their history, something with real value. That could have been interesting. Fractional is still very young. Fractional is still going to be around. It's got to be rethought. And like you said, that learn from the experiences. And But if you're buying things at auction at full price and then fractionalizing them, the investors, the shareholders are a disadvantage. Unless they want to just buy and hold. But as soon as you have secondary market trading, we can overanalyze it, but it's still going to be around. And I think it's fair. And frankly, I can tell you, and I'm happy to show you my portfolio later. (laughs) Very few people that took bigger lumps than me on portfolio value. So I learned that lesson the hard way. But 